Well, good morning. Can we stand? And let's pray as we uh, let's get ready to worship together. Lord, we, um, we come before you wanting to give you all glory, honor, and praise. You and you alone are worthy. God, we thank you that you were from the beginning. You're the Alpha and the Omega, Jesus. We love you. God, hear from our hearts right now. We want you to be pleased as we lift you up, our King of Kings. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
cast my mind to Calvary, where Jesus bled and died for me. I see his wounds, his hands, his feet, my Savior on that cursed.
draw your attention to these connection cards. They should be in a seat back in front of you. Um, We'd love to have you let us know you're worshiping with us if you're relatively new or want to connect with us. Otherwise, this is the card to do it with. Uh, If you want to correct anything in the directory, that's the way to do it. Good way to get a hold of us. You can put that in the offering plate or take it back to the welcome uh, desk at the end of the service. Also, there's a prayer card. We'd love to pray for you. You can mark that kind of general distribution, email prayer chain, or just uh, staff, a little more confidential, smaller circle. So take advantage of those two cards if you would. Well, before we go into our church life announcements, we want to look back a little bit. So I'm going to drop those right there. We're going to look back and we're going to look at uh, what just happened last week. Uh, the high school group had its grad bank banquet and all-nighter. This is a special time for the senior um, grads who are graduating to just... just be able to be celebrated as they journey past high school and, and on with their life. Um, a wonderful time. Some of us in this room can remember our Hillside grad banquet. You know, I can remember it. I think my wife and, yep, Goog and Jan and Brad Rutledge, if he's here, come on. You guys, you guys all remember our grad banquet many eons ago. Um, but this is just a great time of celebration. I understand it was just, Stephen, it was a wonderful time and, and neat time of celebrating. And then on the heels of that, there was a bake sale last week here. And uh, this was in, uh, in support of sending high schoolers to Hume Lake. It made almost $1,200. And then, yeah. And then a generous hillsider said that uh, he or she would double whatever was brought in. So essentially 2400 yeah. And, and if you want to raise your hand right now and double that, I will... I, I will entertain any bids that we get out there. So, um, but this is really cool because I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just kind of drop another name. I went to Hume Lake as a high schooler. Yes, there, Hume was, it was actually a lake back then. <laughs> The, the, the glaciers had melted, and, and um, but, but we're going to send high schoolers to Hume Lake. It's a glorious time. I know that my Christian formation was huge at Christian camp. It just was the, the time of intense uh, being in the Word and being with other Christians. And so um, thank you for your support of the high schoolers, and we'll send them off in June to Hume Lake. That'll be a wonderful time. Next, we have um, the vote after this service. We hope that all of you who can will stay, especially you who are members. Um, We're going to vote on the agreement to join with um, OTC Church and also to call Pastor Wayne as a pastor um, on our staff. And so that's today. They are also voting. And we hope in real time to get the results before everybody leaves, but we'll, we'll see how that works, but please stay afterward. We'll take a quick break, and then we'll, we'll get on with that business. It shouldn't be, shouldn't be a tremendously long meeting. And then next week, Mother's Day, muffins with mom. I like that alliteration. This is before service, though. This is at 9.15. So you've got to, instead of breakfast in bed, you've got to get your mom up here and then have muffins with mom. It'll be down in the community center. Um, it'll, there's going to be a photo booth and, and all this kind of stuff. I don't know what that has to do with anything, but um, it should be, should be a great time. If, if, this is, if this is successful, I'm going to be stumping for double cheeseburgers with dad. Just to... <laughs> Just, just, to, just to keep the alliteration up, I'm just saying. So anyway, come early, 9.15 next week. Uh, bring your mom or moms bring your child and have a, a muffin with mom down, down that away. 
Okay, two other things that I'm excited about. These are related because they're both Compassion, Justice, and Missions Ministries. We're going to be collecting stuff for the next month or so for two different um, ministries. The first one is we're going to collect items for Bags of Hope. Bags of Hope is a thing that Pillars of Hope does. Pillars is an anti-trafficking group in the Bay Area. They, go, they are out on the streets. They are with the uh, people who are engaged um, in that activity. And I know we have younger people in the crowd. I'm, being, I'm measuring my words carefully. But they are engaged with, with people who are in the anti-trafficking or the trafficking business. And they want to bring um, bags of hope. And so I'm going to name a few things that are on here. You can get this list at the back table before you leave. And it's also in the e-news and on the website. But high-protein items such as protein bars, nuts and fruit mix, bottled water, lip balm, hand sanitizer, packages of tissues, mini sunscreens, mini hand lotions, and $25 gift cards. This, these th- items are given to people who are involved in trafficking and given to them as a sign of hope, also to just help. Um, they usually have a very poor existence, and this is to give them some hope and some food. Some of them are just living. If they don't meet their quotas, um, they don't get fed, and so it's just a really, really dismal uh, situation out there. And so I hope you will provide, we will all provide these items for Bags of Hope. We're going to then assemble them on a July 11th, right after service. We're going to bring a couple tables in here and just say, come on, let's assemble these bags. So check out the list and bring some items for Bags of Hope. And then we have um, dress outs, adult clothing needed at local county jails. When an inmate is released from jail, He or she is usually given a small sum of money, but they have to spend some of that money on the clothes that they'll wear when they leave, and so it just already, you know, blows by. And so our own Kate Canova is a volunteer chaplain now in Contra Costa County Jails. I'm going to give it up for Kate for... I just think that's just a super blessing and a super gift, and I'm so glad she's involved with that. And she and I have been talking. We've been talking with the prison ministry team, our MICA 6-8 uh, racial righteousness team, and we kind of are doing this all in concert. We're going to collect adult clothing, mostly men's needed, but women's also, and we're going to do that until July 11th and then go deliver that to the Contra Costa County jails as dress-outs for the men and women who are leaving the jail system. And Kate will have have a lot of uh, ability to interact with the people who are being uh, let out and give them a word for Christ. So these things really support our community and support uh, our Christian spreading of the word and being light in the world. There are two bins in the back, all the way back near the information counter, and I noticed there's already stuff in them. So somebody was reading the e-newsletter um, and, uh, and already brought stuff this morning, Jan Sargentson. Um. <laughs> so thank you. So I know Hillside is going to knock it, not, you know, knock it out of the park on both of these things, and so we've got about a month to do that. So thank you for your consideration. And with that, our church life uh, events are done for now, and we'd love to have you stand up and greet a neighbor. All right, very good. Hope you got to greet people. You can have a seat. I've got some exciting news for you. I have something I'm so excited to talk to you about in the season of all sorts of good things. Here's another one. As you know, uh, ever since our beloved Daniel Cisse left to follow 
The Living Lord's leading back to the East Coast. We have been looking for a worship director. And we have known all along just how critical the worship director is uh, for Hillside. And first and foremost, our worship director leads us into God's presence every single week, which is actually our most fundamental habit as people who have given our allegiance to Jesus. We celebrate God together every single week. And it takes uh, a very special person in order to do that, somebody who's gifted, somebody who's called. But our worship director actually does so much more than that. This person uh, is, a, is a font of creativity for Hillside, you know, dreaming up new seasonal events. Uh, this person ministers at memorial services when people are at their most vulnerable and this person works with the staff in, in, in hatching big plans for the whole church. And because of just how important this role has been and, and so important for our future, we asked a level A hillside leader, Keon Amelie, about eight months ago to head the team that would uh, perform the search. And so Keon's going to come up here. Keon Amelie people, level A leader, like I just said, okay? Level A leader who's late to church, but that's okay. Okay, that's okay. Level A leaders aren't perfect. You have a newborn, little Kana. Yeah. So anyway, you're going to continue the story. Okay. So Dan asked me to lead this team. And so on the team, if you're on the team, would you stand up for me, Gary, you included? So there we go. So we had Gary Cedarwall, Martha Streisko, Charlene Cedarwall was our uh, council liaison. You guys can take a seat. You're good. Uh, we had Anna, Anna Downing, uh, Alan Shotwell, uh, Julia Veed. She was on the team as well. And so we wanted to get a team that was made up of a lot of hillsiders from various age groups, from various uh, histories and categories, uh, so that when we looked at worship, which Dan had said is such a vital part of our church experience, we, we talked, uh, we were listening to everyone. And so in a continuation of that, we did surveys, we did interviews, we sat down with folks and said, hey, what does worship mean to you? Where do you feel God is leading us? Not what do you like, but where do you feel God is leading us as a worship, uh, worshiping community? And so that was the driving message when we were talking about our philosophy of worship, when we were talking about our uh, job description. All of that was built off of where God is leading us. And uh, we went through the interview process, we put it up on church boards all over, and uh, then we were able to recommend uh, people to Dan. That's right. That's right. So Keon and team, this crack team, level A leader, I, recommend, I say again, recommended John and Catherine Grant to serve as our worship director. Hold on, hold on, hold on. They made the recommendation. They made the recommendation. I, I want to build this up, okay? They made the recommendation. I was really pleased to get that recommendation. And now I'm really happy to say that after getting that recommendation and conferring with counsel and talking to staff, we have hired Catherine and John Grant as our permanent worship director. Yeah. And as you know, if you've been around for a while, they have been serving as interim worship leaders uh, since last fall, late last fall. Uh, but now it's official. And, and I want to say, I want you to hear this. I could not be happier about this. I, I, I could not be more excited 
about who God has chosen for this role. John and Catherine love Jesus. They're committed to Jesus the King. They love our church. They love us. They love you. They're committed to us, and they're eager to help us move into a vibrant new season of worship ministry. I want to say I love working with them. I mean, I love partnering with them, and I have gained so much by listening to them reflect on their philosophy of worship. I've gained by talking with them, and I'm excited about all the good that's going to come out of this partnership. And I want to say, like never before, the three of us, who are sort of the worship team at Hillside, uh, are going to work like never before to make our worship services inspiring, Jesus-honoring, filled with meaningful, beautiful, singable music, along with lots of other elements. Although Catherine is officially the name on the paycheck, they are going to be working together as a team, like they have done for years and years in worship ministry. So they are both going to have the title worship director, all right? Soon they are going to have the opportunity to talk about some of their dreams, but right now we're just celebrating the moment. So would you two come on up here? Come on up. And then if you are a council member or a staff person, or you've ever played an instrument at Hillside, I want you to come up here. Seriously, come on up here. You're going to join in the prayer. Yep. That's right. Seriously, we're making this good. Come on up. Or if you've run a soundboard, come on up. Put your hands on them. And we're going to pray. This is great. Let's pray. Dear Father, we, we thank you for providing Catherine and John as our worship directors. Uh, we could not be more thankful. I could not be more thankful. And to them you have given us servants who can facilitate our most fundamental act as believers, adoring you in worship, especially in song. We are so grateful. We pray that you would strengthen them for this task. We pray that you would continue to give them great creative energy. And just as much, we pray that you would help us to encourage them and to support them in what is always a very challenging ministry role. We pray that you would help us all to rally behind their vision and plans. Father, we thank you for their children, because this is a family operation. We thank you for Cynthia, John, and Jared, who have already been a gift to us by serving on the team that their parents are forming. And we pray that this next season of their call would prove to be a golden era for their whole family as well as for our church. And thanks again for this step forward that you've allowed us to make in joining them to our team. And thanks for the faithful search work of Keon Amelie and his search team. We're so grateful for their efforts. And we pray all in this with great expectation and great gratitude in the name of Jesus the King. Amen. Amen. All right, you want to give them another hand? Aren't you glad they're... And by the way, as you know, as Randy just mentioned, again, right after the service, we have an important congregational meeting, but we also have cupcakes, okay? 
So the plan will be we're going to zip out, we're going to grab a cupcake, and we're going to come back in, and Michelle Miller said it's okay to eat your cupcake in this room as long as you don't slop the frosting, okay? All right. It is time to take our offering. Ushers, if you would come forward, uh, that would be wonderful. Hillside is supported by Hillsiders. So if this is your community, we invite you to give today if you can do so in a joyful way. You can do so through the website, through the app, or through the plates that we'll be going by. Let's pray together. Dear Father, we want to thank you for all that you've given us. You have given us so much. And we now give back in joy from your abundance. And we pray that you would take these gifts and you would do great things through them. That you would use us to use those gifts in a responsible way to do all sorts of works of proclaiming your son and building people up in him. And we thank you in advance for the good that will result. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. First of all, we... I just want to say thank you for entrusting uh, this to us. And we want to be faithful to serve you by helping facilitate your worship of our Savior. Um, we'll talk more about our philosophy of worship and the kind of the biblical foundations of it in the, in the coming weeks. But um, I'll tell you, it is easy to serve here because you love Jesus and you love each other. And there are there are worship leaders out there who are at churches trying to conjure something up, trying to get something going, trying to get people to sing. And I tell people at my church, I say, ready now. <laughs> and you guys blow us to the back wall with your voices, which is awesome. So we thank you so much for being great worshipers and being so easy to lead in that. We thank you for the full diversity of um, of different styles of worship and different people who have contributed. It is, it's just such a joy to serve with this team, with the people up in the booth. I mean, it's just, Catherine and I could not be uh, more pleased, so thank you guys. Let's stand, and um, this, is a, this may be a new song. It sounds like an old song. Um, it's a, a beautiful reflection of what it is that we feel as worship leaders. We want to always be on our hearts that is yet not I but it is, Christ, it is through Christ in me that we do all things. of grace is Jesus my redeemer there is no more for heaven now to give he is my joy my righteousness and freedom my steadfast love my deep and boundless grace to this I
I am Becky Garner, and I'm on the teaching team of Oasis Women's Bible Study on Tuesday mornings, and I have the privilege of serving on Hillside's Council. But this morning, I am excited to continue our series called He Became Us in 1 John. This morning, we will be looking at how Jesus became human just like us, to dispel the darkness in the world and in us. And we will look at how we, as Jesus followers, continue his work today of dispelling the darkness by loving like he loved us. So let's take a minute and let me just pray over us with a prayer that I've taken from Colossians 1. Father, this morning, we give you joyful thanks to you, our God, because you have qualified us to share in the inheritance of your holy people in the kingdom of light. For you have rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son you love, Jesus Christ, in whom we have redemption, and the forgiveness of sins. Hallelujah. Amen. Well, I will never forget a trip that I took to Mammoth Caves in Kentucky. It was a while ago, but I will never forget it. For me, the most memorable part of the caves wasn't being in the longest known cave system in the world. Nope nor was it hearing about Native Americans and slaves who used those caves. That wasn't it either. And it wasn't these gorgeous stalactite and stalagmite formations. Nope. 
The most memorable part of my trip to the Mammoth Caves was when our tour guide turned off all the lights in the cave that we were in. Jariah has a slide for this. <laughs> That's what it looked like. Yep, I think we were in the dark for less than 10 minutes, but honestly, it felt like an eternity. Thankfully, the tour guide's voice just kind of droned on in the pitch black, giving us facts, and I was holding on to my friend Norma's arm with a death grip. <laughs> um, that tour guide's promise that she would turn on the lights kept me from panicking. I was really banking on that hope of the light being turned back on. But since no one could see me, I thought I'd take advantage of that. So I did some experiments. I waved my hands in front of my face. I opened and closed my eyes together and then one at a time. But honestly, I couldn't see anything. If my hand hadn't been attached to my body and occasionally touching my face, I wouldn't have known that it was right there in front of my face. Well, after these experiences actually proved the science that you cannot see without a light source, I just kept my eyes closed. I think that was kind of my desperate attempt to keep the dark away and anything that might be kind of lurking in the dark away also. <laughs> when the tour guide finally turned those lights back on, the whole group kind of gave this collective <sighs> sigh. I might have cheered a, a little bit. Yeah. Um, I was actually thrilled to step out into the sunlight after the tour ended. I emerged very thankful to God and a confirmed lover of his light. As much as I love light, God loves light even more. He created it, he dwells in it, and his son Jesus, our king, is defined as light. John describes Jesus in his gospel this way. The word gave life to everything that was created and his life brought light to everyone. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness can never extinguish it. In John chapters 8 and 12, this is how Jesus describes himself. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. I have come into the world as light so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. This is who we worship today. The light that shines in our dark world, the light whom the darkness of evil and death has not overcome and will never extinguish. Because of Jesus, we are people who no longer walk in darkness. We are people of the light of Christ. We are lovers of the true light of the world. So let's look at the first part of our passage in 1 John 2 verses 7 and 8 and be listening for the promise of light. Beloved, I am writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I am writing to you, which is true in him and in you, 
because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Did you hear it? Did you hear the promise in verse eight that the darkness is passing away and that true light is already shining? When the true light of Jesus came into the world, he ushered in a new age where the realm of darkness began to pass away. This promise that the darkness is passing away is because of a truth. It's because of something real and genuine and strong in the life of Jesus and in the lives of every single believer. That truth is the love expressed in Jesus's obedience to his father through his life and through his death on the cross. And it's expressed in us today when we obey the new commandment that John writes about in his letter. Every time we obey this new commandment, Christ's light, Christ's light shines brighter and the darkness passes further away. For us who truly want to fulfill Hillside's mission to be light in the world, we must be people who own this commandment, who understand it in the heart, and we live by it. In today's passage, John describes this new commandment in what sounds like a riddle. Not a new commandment, but an old commandment. A commandment that John's readers had heard and had known about since the beginning of their faith. Yet now this old commandment is really a new one. So Pastor Dan's metaphor of a tornado for John's teaching seems very appropriate here. So how is this new commandment an old commandment? For the Jews in Jesus's day, the old commandment would have brought to their minds Leviticus 19.18. Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. In Matthew 22, an expert in the law tried to test Jesus over this old commandment by asking him this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love yourself, love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. The apostle Paul shed light on this familiar commandment to love your neighbor as yourself. Let no debt remain outstanding, except the continuing debt to love one another. For whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. The commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, whatever other command there may be, are summed up in this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. So Paul tells us that the Ten Commandments and whatever other command we can find in God's law regarding our relationships with each other can be summed up in this one commandment, to love our neighbor as we love ourselves. Paul not only describes this kind of love for our neighbor as the fulfillment of God's law, but also as an ongoing debt that we owe to one another. Did you catch that? 
In other words, in obedience to Jesus' new love commandment, there will never come a day when we can say that we're done paying love to one another. We can never say that we have truly and completely finished loving one another. The good news is that in God's economy, we are all in mutual debt to each other. So as I pay out love to you, someone in the body is paying out love to me. Even though we can never pay this debt of love down, like a financial debt, God designed it this way so that none of us will ever be bankrupt of love. Jesus made this old commandment of God new in John 13, 34 through 35. He said to his disciples, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Back in our first John passage today, John says in verse eight that this new commandment that he's writing about is true in him, meaning that it's true first in Jesus. So how is this new commandment to love true in Christ? Paul answers this question in Romans 5, verses 8 and 10. God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. For if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? In John 15, 12 through 13, Jesus taught his disciples that his new commandment went deeper and farther than the old commandment to love your neighbor ever had when he said, my command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for one's friends. After Jesus taught about his new commandment love, he showed his disciples what living his own command to love looked like through his life with them and then through his death for them when he laid down his life by dying on the cross. Jesus shows us that obeying his new commandment to love as he loved, it's something we do. We lay down our lives. Jesus' command to love as he loved is something we demonstrate to reveal the gospel. So, how is this new commandment to love in us? When we obey Jesus' new commandment to love, we reflect the incarnation of Jesus, the eternal Son of God who took on human flesh and then died on the cross for the sins of the world. Pastor Dan referred to this as being little Christ last week, remember? In our born-again humanity, by the power of the Holy Spirit within us, we embody, we personify Jesus' new commandment to love, to be that love in the world as little Christ. Just as Jesus overcame evil with good by laying down his life, we are to follow in his footsteps. 
Paul urges believers in Romans 12:21, do not be overcome by evil, which John refers to as the passing darkness in our passage today. Do not be overcome by evil, but be, but to overcome evil with good. Let me say it again. Do not be overcome by evil, but to overcome evil with good. Jesus, he's the prototype of a new command and love that he wants us to follow. He shows us how to overcome the darkness of evil with good by obeying his new commandment to love. As recipients of Jesus' new commandment, we're called to be agents of his love so that people experience Christ-like love, so that people have a personal encounter with the grace and mercy of God through our sacrificial love for them. The gospel accounts, they are chock full of ways that Jesus loved sacrificially, practically, and powerfully which we can learn from and emulate. But this morning, I wanna focus on one particularly powerful way that we can love as Jesus loved us, by forgiving one another. Jesus' ultimate expression of love was laying down his life by dying on the cross. Why? To forgive our sins. We are most like our King, like our Lord Jesus, when we lay down our lives for one another. And this may not require that we give up our actual lives, but it will always require that we lay down all hatred and our pride so that we can truly, truly forgive as Jesus forgave. In his Sermon on the Mount, Jesus gave two examples of how his new commandment to love transformed and radicalized this old familiar love commandment. He taught this about forgiveness in Matthew 5, 21 through 24. You have heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder and anyone who murders will be subject to, to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, is answerable to the court, and anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them, then come and offer your gift. This is one of those rubber meets the road scriptures. This is how we put our faith into action. Obedience to Jesus's command to love this way is where spiritual progress is made. This is where real transformation and restoration can happen. These verses give us a picture of what it means to lay down our lives for one another in forgiveness. In the first example, we have been offended by a brother or a sister in Christ. And this offense festers into hatred. Only the light of Christ can shine on that offense and free us from it 
and free us from hatred. His light may shine on the darkness of hatred that's growing in our hearts through the reading of his word. It might shine on our hearts through the conviction of the Holy Spirit as we pray. It might shine through the counsel of a godly friend or merely through the life draining pain and consequences of harboring that murderous hate that Jesus describes in our hearts. Jesus, he's after our hearts. He wants to shine his light on any darkness of unforgiveness that can grow into hatred in any of us. Not to shame us, not to shame us, but to banish this darkness from our hearts so that he can restore us, so that he can redeem our relationships with one another, so that we can live into our true identity as people of his light. In the second example, we are the ones who have offended or hurt a brother or sister in Christ. This time, God's light brings to mind that it's critical for our spiritual well-being and for the health of our whole church body to make things right with a brother or sister whom we have hurt before we offer him our gifts. Now, we might find it easier to avoid reconciliation with another believer whom we've hurt by continuing to serve in the church and to exercise our spiritual gifts. But it's the Lord's priority that his people's hearts are healed and full of light, full of the light of love and are completely reconciled with one another. Jesus's new commandment to love as he loves us is radical. It is costly. Loving as Jesus commands is not about our convenience or our comfort. It's about God using us to transform hatred to love and enemies into brothers and sisters in Christ. Whenever we obey Jesus' command to love as he loved in a very real and powerful way, the new commandment becomes new as we express Christ's love to someone that we have hurt. The extent of our love for our fellow believers, it goes way beyond any sin they can commit against us, just as Jesus' love for us goes beyond all our sins against him. Our obedience to Jesus' command to love as he is loved requires us to forgive one another, no expiration date, with no plan B, with no excuses, and with no escape clause. Why? because Jesus's forgiveness for our sins has none of these. His death on the cross completely forgives all our sins, past, present, and future. As believers who claim the promise of 1 John 1, 9, without limit, we pray, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So how, how can we withhold forgiveness from one another? Jesus spoke about unlimited forgiveness between believers when Peter asked in Matthew 18, Lord, 
How many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? Peter thought he was being really magnanimous here. <laughs> seven is the perfect number in a Jewish mindset, so he's probably thinking, this is great, seven times, you know. But Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 70 times seven. Stop doing math. I see you. Jesus wanted Peter to get the idea that the number of times we are to forgive a brother or sister who sins against us is beyond counting. So we aren't to keep count of how many times we've forgiven one another. We are only to be ready to forgive one more time. But hear me when I say that being ready to forgive, it's not the same as being ready to trust. It can take time to rebuild trust where it has been badly broken. And this process will require actions of bravery and humility from both those who forgive and from those who have been forgiven. Jesus' brand of new commandment love has the power to energize us, and it has the power to penetrate our hearts, exposing our true motives, especially in how we love and forgive within the community of believers. This is the special context that John addresses in our passage today. If we refuse to forgive one another as Christ forgave us, we're in the danger zone. We're in danger of being like the person who is blinded by the darkness, whom John describes in verses 9 through 11. In these verses, John acts as our tour guide into the mammoth cave of hatred. And it gives us a picture of the spiritual blindness that results when we hate our brother or sister. So follow along with me as I read. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. Here John describes two different people. The first man says he is in the light, while the second man actually abides in the light. This second man walks and lives in the light. The first man who says he's in the light is actually still in darkness, walking in it and stumbling around in it. This place of darkness has a name, hatred. Hatred has blinded the first man's eyes to the extent that he wrongly calls this dark cave of hatred that he's in living in the light. This first man, he's deceived. Blind hatred is a real spiritual condition. We see the devastating effects of blind hatred and raging evil in current events every day, don't we? 
Today, John's words call us as God's people of light to humbly test our hearts to make sure there is not a trace of hatred there. Unconfessed hatred, which here is really unforgiveness in our hearts towards a brother or sister in Christ, results in spiritual blindness that prevents us from seeing one another through the lens of God's love looking at one another through the lens of God's love and grace and mercy. As Christians, we're called to live like the second man who loves his brother and lives in true light. This place of true light has a name too. It's called love. The first man who walks in the darkness of hate, he'll only find more darkness and more hate. The second man who continues to walk in the light of love will only find more light and more love. John provides us with this contrast of love and hate, light and darkness, sight and blindness, so that we would continue to walk in the light of Christ by loving and forgiving as Jesus did. This is hard, but we can do it because the light of love is in us. Church, this is our glorious light-filled reality. Do we realize and are we living out of the reality that Jesus Christ, the light of the world, is in us and for us? We are to take the words of 1 John 1, 5 out into the world. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. People still living in the darkness, in the darkness of sin, in the darkness of sin that separates them from God, this is a truth that they need to hear. We can fearlessly and joyfully proclaim this message because Jesus Christ, in whom there is no darkness at all, is in us, is in us at Hillside. He goes with us wherever we go. He goes with us to usher in the light of the kingdom by sharing the gospel. Finally, John reminds believers of who they are in the last verses 12 through 14. They are good reminders for us as we seek to be light in the world. Let me read it to you. I'm writing to you little children because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. I am writing to you fathers because you know him who is from the beginning. I am writing to you young men because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you children because you know the father. I write to you fathers because you know who you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you young men because you are strong and the word of God abides in you and you have overcome the evil one. So why was it important for the Christians in John's day? And why is it important for us to remember who we truly are? because we can become discouraged 
and overwhelmed by the darkness in our world, and we can forget the truth that the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. When we experience the darkness of this world, we can forget that we are truly as Jesus declared in Matthew 5, 14. Hillside, you are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. You are the light of the world. As we close, I want us to receive John's reminders to strengthen us to fulfill our mission to be light in the world. We can be light in the world because the truths that belong to the little children in these verses belong to us. John uses the Greek word technion, which means my dear children. He uses this term of endearment for believers reading this letter seven times. And it's a term Jesus used for his beloved disciples. Like the little children in these verses, our sins have been completely forgiven by Jesus' death on the cross. And through his sacrifice, we are now God's beloved children who can know him as our father. We can be light in the world because the realities of the young men described in this passage are ours as well. We have overcome the evil one by Christ's victory on the cross. Jesus gives us this assurance from John 16:33. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. We can be light in the world because the same word of God that abides in the young men and makes them strong abides in us and strengthens us to overcome evil today. And finally, may the defining mark of the fathers in this passage be the defining mark of our lives, that we know God, that we love God, and that we continue to mature in the knowledge and love of him who is from the beginning. As God's beloved people who have been rescued from the dominion of darkness and brought into the light-filled kingdom of Jesus, who is the light of the world, go, be light in the world. As people who have been redeemed and completely forgiven by the blood of Jesus Christ, Forgive one another as he forgave us and love one another as he loved us by laying down your lives for each other. Go, be light in the world. And now, may our God bless us and keep us as we proclaim the good news of the gospel that the darkness is passing away and the true light of Christ is shining. Amen and hallelujah. Friends, this is the Lord's table. He has set it
for us. Thank you. And Jesus, the light of the world, is also the bread of life. And he invites all of us who have trusted in him as sun bearer to come and feast. We are welcome to come here if we know Jesus. We're welcome to be re-enveloped in his love, to be re-illuminated by his light. Let's take a moment to be silent before him, to take in what we've heard this morning. Let's see him as our loving Lord and our host. Now let's take a few moments to search our own hearts and to see if God's Spirit brings to mind anyone we need to forgive. And if we discover any unforgiveness, any resentment that's collected up for a brother and sister, let's forgive in this moment. We can do it. Because like Becky said, the light of the world, Jesus lives inside us if we belong to him. We have forgiving capacity we never had before. So let's consider and then let's forgive. Father, we're so thankful for what we've heard this morning through your spokeswoman. We're so grateful we're enlivened to learn about the new commandment. The new commandment to live lives in which we lay down our lives for each other, our brothers and sisters. And we know that part and parcel of living that new commandment is offering each other complete release in forgiveness when we've been wronged. You offer us complete forgiveness. United to you, we can offer forgiveness to others, and we do that, enjoying the release that that means even for us. Thank you. Here's how communion will work. There will be four stations, uh, two up here, two in the back, as you approach one of the stations, you'll take bread from one server, you'll take juice from the other server. All the bread is gluten-free. Once you've taken your elements, if you'd go back to your seats so that we can take the elements together as a family, that would be wonderful. And let me suggest once we begin serving, if you're in the, the front half of the room, uh, if you would ap approach these serving stations from the middle aisle and then go back to your seat 
along the side, that'll help with traffic flow. And similarly, if you're in the back half of the room, if you would go to one of the stations in the back, going down the center aisle, and then you can return to your seat uh, by the side aisle. And again, if, if moving would be difficult for you, just look for the roving servers. Pastor Jane and I will be out and about, uh, and we'll bring the elements to you. Servers, would you take your stations? You know, as people of the Evangelical Covenant Church, we believe that this meal, which is from the Lord himself, is for everybody who has given allegiance to Jesus the King. Everyone. You don't have to be a member of this church. You don't have to be a member of any church. If you know Jesus as Lord and Savior, this meal is for you. But I do want to say, if you've not put your faith in Jesus, nothing keeps you from doing so right now. His invitation goes out to you right now. It's for you. And committing to him involves a couple of steps. First, it involves believing the gospel. The gospel is Jesus. The gospel is the story of Jesus, his full life, culminating in the fact that he's in charge of the world right now as the king. We believe in his life. We believe everything about him from his preexistence. He wasn't created. He was with the Father from all eternity we believe that he became a human being, being sent by God. He lived a perfect life. He died for sins, your sins, my sins, all of our sins. We believe that he rose from the dead on the third day. We believe that after that he was installed as king, that he's in charge of the world. It's his. We believe that he then poured out his Holy Spirit to allow his people people from every nation, every skin color, every social background to serve him in unity as his light bearers. And then we believe in his promise to come again, to take what is his, his world. That's what we believe. And then secondly, it involves giving personal allegiance to him. It's not enough just to believe in those facts. They're true. We have to take another step. We need to say to that reigning Lord, I belong to you. I recognize you as the king. I recognize you as my sin bearer, and now I give my life to you. I join you. I join your family, and now my life is about your purposes in the world, and my life is going to be shared with your family. And when we make that declaration, we're newborn, newly born. We're justified. We're forgiven. We're marked out for eternal life. We're in the clear for the day of judgment, which scripture says on almost every page is coming. And we get to live brand new lives of transformation and peace and joy and creativity. It's all ours. And it can be yours if you don't know him. Nothing keeps you from making that declaration today. He invites you to do so. At this time, when you're ready to receive this meal from your king, I invite you to either come to the front or come to the back. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given things, he broke it and said, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's pray. 
Lord Jesus, our Savior and King, to you be praise and honor. Forgiving yourself, for shedding your blood, for letting your body be broken in death for us so that we could be forgiven completely and made into a new family. Father, we pray that you would bless this bread which we're going to eat. We pray that you would bless this cup which we're going to drink together. And we pray that through this blessed bread and this blessed cup, we would become partakers once again of your own son. We pray this in his name. Amen. This is the body of Christ broken for us. Let's eat together. This is the blood of Christ shed for us. Let's drink together. Father, thank you again. Lord Jesus, thank you for feeding us and empowering us in this meal. Energized with these elements, may we go out in many, many ways this week and bear your light. Acts of love, words of gracious truth, and in when necessary, in declarations of forgiveness to those who have hurt us. Thank you. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Let's sing together in gratitude. Would you stand as we respond? Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me.
Father, thank you for such a rich and wonderful, encouraging gathering this morning. We're so thankful. We're thankful for the way you've drawn close, you've encouraged us, you've bound us together in a new way, and you've given us truth for living our lives as bearers of your light this week, and we are thankful. We give you all the praise. We praise you right now, and we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Hey, I told you that we got important business to get to right now, but you're going to have about five minutes. I mean, no more than five minutes to get out of here, get a cupcake in John's honor and Catherine's honor. That's right. And then you get to come back and eat a cupcake in here, which is pretty special. And then we're going to get to a very important business meeting, so we need you for this. So you're dismissed, and we'll see you in five minutes.